Welcome to Frontline Church South OKC Sermon Podcast. Each week we will have new sermon content from Sunday mornings, both video and audio options. Please visit south.frontlinechurch.com for more information. If you have any questions, need prayer, or have any other needs at all, please email hello at frontlinechurch.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hey, today I'm really, really excited. We get to have one of my best friends with us today, Chad Kinser. Uh, love Chad. Me and Chad get to hang out a lot and ride bikes together a lot and talk sermon stuff together a lot. Chad serves as our teaching pastor at Frontline Downtown, and he graciously agreed to come and to open up the word with us today as we continue our series on the rhythms of grace. So, uh, Chad, thanks for being with us, man. Love you like crazy. Hey, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? The scripture for today's sermon comes from Matthew 4, 1 through 4. The word of God speaks to us. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command those stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is God's word to us. Good morning, guys. You doing okay? It's good to be here today. Celebrate Father's Day with you. Um, brothers, it's a, it's, a, it's a blessing to stand with you and receive that uh, word of encouragement from Scripture read over us earlier. And sisters, uh, thanks so much for... Being, being women who would pray for us and, uh, and pray that we'd be godly men in the church. And so keep doing that. It's a privilege to, to stand here and open God's word with you this morning. If you've got a Bible, open up to that passage read just a moment ago, Matthew chapter 4. We'll be there in a second. We are, as Andrew said, continuing in this series. We're called Rhythms of Grace. Uh, through the summer, we're taking up different practices, different habits that Christians have observed for growing as disciples since the resurrection. What's, what's amazing about this series is uh, if you were to sort of drop us in 200 years ago or drop us in another part of the world, what, what you'll find is Christians across all times and all places have practiced these things. We're not making something up. We're not inventing something new. What we're just trying to do actually is observe worldwide, globally, across all time and spaces, what have Christians always done? What have Christians always given themselves to? We're doing something really old in this series and just saying, hey, we want to give ourselves to what Christians have always given themselves to since the resurrection of Jesus, to be his disciples in the world. So today, we're going to take up the practice, the habit of Scripture for the life of a Christian. So pray for me, I'll pray for you, and we'll open up this morning and uh, move from there. I want to pray from Psalm 29 this morning. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. 
The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The voice of the Lord makes the deer to give birth. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. Fathers, we open your word today. We want to confess what this psalm says is true, and that the voice of the Lord is powerful. Thank you that we don't have to search worldwide to find your voice. It sits opened in front of us by your very word. And so, God, I pray that you would allow the scriptures by the Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds and our hearts and our affections. And would you, by your voice today, do in us what you do in all creation, and that's bring renewal. You make the deer to give birth. You shake the cedars. Would you do powerful things in us by your voice today? We offer this prayer in the strong name of Jesus we offer it by the Holy Spirit. We said, amen, amen. Well, a few years ago, um, I lived in Austin, Texas, and I'll never forget a moment sitting over a nice cup of coffee with what was, at that time, a new intern that I had been given. I had uh, moved across the country and was a part of a church in Austin, and we were there a matter of six weeks. I knew this intern, four weeks. We had just had a baby uh, two, a week after we moved there, um, we were moving into a new house. I had a new job. I didn't have any friends. It was a lot of crazy happening in our, in our life at that moment. And i never forget sitting over this cup of coffee, this weekly check-in with this intern that I had, again, known just a matter of weeks. And he says to me, I think that your problem, pointing to me, my, I'm the supervisor in that space, and he's pointing to me, telling me my problem. It was an amazing moment. I think that your problem with Scripture, the reason that you don't read it, is that you don't believe God's word has anything to say to you. I stood there, sat there as it, as it was in that moment, a bit shocked, thinking, do I just tell this guy to pack his desk now? Like, how, how does this work? Like, you're the intern here. You're telling me my problems with such authority and, and uh, supervision. But I couldn't say anything like that to him because he was right. He was right. So I had all of these what would in other moments be maybe well-meaning excuses? Maybe they're not good excuses at all. But the reason he said that to me is because a part of this little weekly check-in we had um, was not just about workflow and productivity and his development, but it was also about discipleship and just life with Christ. And we were getting to know one another. This is four weeks in. And I had shown up to that meeting sort of trying to go first. I'm not going to ask him to do anything that I wasn't going to do myself. And so I was giving my own sort of check-in on life with Christ. And for the fourth week in a row, I showed up saying, I, I haven't read my Bible this week. And he replies to me, hey, I actually think that your problem with Scripture isn't any of the other busyness and crazy in your life. It's that you don't believe God has anything to say to you. And again, I wish I had a response to him to say, you don't know what it is to be a dad of a newborn. But the reality is he, he, was, he was right. And then he responded with something else. He said, have you ever said that to God before? I said, said what to God? And he said, have you ever said to God, I don't think your word has anything to say to me? I'm like, I am being pastored by my intern right now. This is amazing. And I said to him, can you say that to God? Can you, can you tell God that I don't think that your word has anything to say to me, which is why I've chosen not to pick it up? I've thought about that conversation a lot since that moment because it's a conversation that God has used time and again to help, re help me interpret what's happening in my chest, 
help me interpret my own neglect of his word, my own, my own absence from his word at times. It's also something God's used to help me remind me of what, what's going on at the heart of Scripture. And so today as we unfold the place of Scripture, the, the importance of Scripture in our formation as followers of Jesus, I want to be honest even in the intro here to say that I'm a bit nervous to preach this sermon today. I'm a bit nervous, and even maybe um, to be more honest, I'm intimidated to preach this sermon. And here's why. Like, what we're about to unfold and talk about today is something that if you've been following Jesus for any length of time, if you've been around the church, this is something that you've heard maybe more than anything. You should read your Bibles. This is something you've heard maybe more than anything, and the reason I'm intimidated and a bit nervous is because it's something that we neglect as much as anything. This is the conversation at the dentist about flossing every six months, right? Have you flossed the last six months? No, I haven't. Well, here's the speech again. You've heard it as much as anything, yet you neglect it as much as anything. That makes me nervous and intimidated to preach today. I've also felt a bit cautious and careful in preparation because I know that many of you might associate a lack of engagement with Scripture with a narrative of toxic shame, right? And so you might associate, hey, I haven't been in Scripture, and so what he's about to talk about is about to remind me of one more place in my life where I don't stack up to the expectations that Jesus has for me. I'm not able to keep up with what God expects of me and demands of me, and so this is a narrative of shame. Others of you, maybe you resist the conversation about Scripture altogether because it reminds you of a strict religious background that you've sought to leave behind. Maybe in your past you've known people who would have claimed to be Bible people, but they were the most hypocritical people you ever met. And you sought to somehow maintain your faith but leave that behind. Maintain your faith but with something less strict, less rigid, and more organic and fluid. Maybe others of you, you think about well, I don't, I don't want to really talk about Scripture. I want to avoid Scripture because if I, think, if I pick up Scripture, then it's going to require me to deal with an area of my life that I don't really want to deal with. And so it's easier just to keep it closed and shelved. And then maybe for others of you, right? Like the reason I'm cautious and careful today, for all those other groups of people, then, then there's others, and maybe this, you're sort of multiple groups, but reading the Bible just makes you to feel not smart. And you don't feel smart enough to follow Jesus because I don't understand. And, and, and so I'd just rather not have to feel confused. And so I don't read my Bible. Those reasons make me cautious and careful because here's the reality. Scripture doesn't offer up to you a narrative of shame. That's not coming, wherever that's coming from that you um, sort of have that, that, that tape playing around you, that, that's not from Scripture and that's certainly not what I'm interested to add to today. My desire, here, here's, here's what I want to do. I want to try to bring us back to the heart of what's happening in this book. I want to bring us back to the heart of what's happening here. I want you to see that it's absolutely critical. This book is absolutely critical for your formation as a Christian. You won't be formed without it. You won't. I also want to try best I can by the help of the Holy Spirit to show you that what's contained in this book is the very character of the living God. The God we've just sang about, 
received a blessing from his word. His character, what he's like, is contained in these pages. It's amazing. Also in this book are stories and accounts of the works of God to reach you, to pursue you, to hunt you down, to chase you down, to get after you. Like, in this book are all God's efforts that you would know of him and hear of him. In this book are all these stories of his faithfulness against the drama, the backdrop of the drama of your life and all of history. I want us to bring us back to the heart of what's happening here. And I want to start by looking at the way that Scripture formed Jesus, the passage that we read back in Matthew chapter 4. I want to give some context as to what's happening here. This is the moment, maybe you're familiar with the narrative, how this is he's beginning his earthly ministry. And so he was, before this moment of wilderness temptations, he was baptized in the Jordan River. The direct address of God comes forward. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit confirms that blessing by anointing him. And then it's as though his hair was still wet from baptism. No time to dry off. No time for cake and a baptism certificate. Hair still wet from baptism. He's driven off into the wilderness to be tempted there, to be tested. He's in the wilderness preparing for, for ministry. 40 days, learning to pray, learning to trust, learning to practice the presence of his Father. And it wasn't simply uh, a sort, you know, spiritual high or a camp retreat. It was a place where his temptations began. The devil comes to tempt him multiple times. The devil is there questioning God's authority and trying to manipulate his identity as God's true son. Pick up with me in chapter 3, verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, he immediately went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, and with whom I am well pleased. Then, chapter 4, verse 1, he was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So after fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights, he was hungry. I want you to notice what's happening in verse 2. It might seem like it's just stating the obvious. He hadn't eaten in 40 days and 40 nights, so he was hungry. Thank you for the obvious. There's a really important detail being mentioned here. Number one, this is the biblical writers opening to us that Jesus was human just like you and me. He was familiar with hunger pains. He was familiar with weakness and vulnerability. There's another passage later in the New Testament that's going to tell us that he's able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses because he's been tested and tempted in every way that we are. So what this passage is suggesting is that Jesus can look at you rightly and understand what you're going through and say to you, me too. I've been tempted. I've been weak. I've been vulnerable. I've been confused. Me too. But there's more here as to the practice of Scripture. Pick up in verse 3. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God. Now remember, we just read a few verses earlier the direct address of God the Father. This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Now the tempter comes along a few verses later after he's weak and vulnerable. If you are the Son of God. Command these stones to become bread. 
But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus has this temptation come to him at a moment of weakness, and he responds by pulling out this deep cut from Deuteronomy chapter 8. I know that's like your favorite passage of scripture. Deuteronomy 8 is starred and underlined and like stickers by it in your Bible. Super familiar with it. Now he pulls out this deep cut from Deuteronomy chapter 8. He's in the desert. He's alone. He's tired. He's really, I mean, 40 days of fasting is like the brink of if you don't eat medically, you're in trouble. He pulls out this deep cut from Deuteronomy chapter 8 to be his comfort in that moment. Now, in my background, as an early Christian, I was taught this passage, and I was taught what's happening here with the wilderness temptations and Jesus' reply with Scripture as like this model. So here's what I would have heard taught growing up. Jesus memorized Scripture, and so you should memorize Scripture. When Jesus faced temptations, when he faced moments of weakness and vulnerability and was tempted to go his own way rather than submit to the Father, what he did was he used the Bible in those moments. So you should use the Bible when you're tempted. It was sort of this transactional view. If you're facing difficulty, put a quarter into the machine and then out comes tranquility. Like there was a transactional view of the Bible. When you're facing trouble, just have some of it ready to go and then it'll like, like a sword cut through the challenge. Sort of a monkey see, monkey do. Jesus did it, you do that. And I feel like always the subtext of that kind of teaching was all you need to do, all you need to do to make your problems go away is just have a little more Bible in your life. Just a few more verses memorized. Just read your Bible and your temptations will go away just like they went away for Jesus. Now, here's what's interesting, right? The heart of what was being taught to me was, was well-meaning enough. Like trying to show that the scriptures are important for the nourishment of a Christian. So far as it goes, it's, it's fine enough teaching. But the problem with it, besides the obvious, the, the obvious problem is most of us would look at that and say, it's not that easy, <laughs> right? Like your life experience would go, it's not like I can just have a Bible verse on hand and tranquilize the ills of my life. That's the obvious problem with that teaching. The bigger problem, though, is that it bypasses the real anguish that Jesus was facing in that moment. This is a difficult moment. He's being tempted by the devil himself. They're in the wilderness having his own identity and God's authority questioned. This is a moment of anguish. It also bypasses the real heart of communion with God that informed Jesus over time. Jesus didn't just show up in the wilderness and flip a switch. Oh, I know what to do with you, Deuteronomy 8. There's a long moment of formation. He, he's showing up after seasons of formation of communion with God. And it bypasses the fact that you and I get to peer in on this moment as modern disciples and there's a real invitation for us to be formed in the same pattern. Like it bypasses so many things to see this as merely transactional. So here's what I mean. When Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 8, why I pointed out verse 2. When he quotes Deuteronomy 8, he was still hungry. 
If you're the son of God, turn these stones to bread. Deuteronomy 8. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He was still hungry. His hunger pains. In fact, I might argue from Scripture what we just know by like real life, his hunger pains might have increased in that moment. It might have gotten more difficult because now he's actually, it's like salivating for the bread he desires and he's abstaining from feeding himself, trusting the Father and now he's been introduced to something that he really wants as a carrot dangling out there in front of him but he's abstaining, trusting God. It might have gotten more difficult in that moment. He was hungry. The, the word of God didn't tranquilize at the moment. It's an amazing thing what's happening here. Especially considering God's authority had just been questioned. His identity as a son, he might have been all the more frustrated and angry to sort of flex in the moment just to prove the enemy wrong. This is a difficult moment. And so it's not as though, I want you to see, it's not as though Scripture was this magic wand that could be waved in front of his temptation to make it disappear. It didn't happen. And that's not the point. So what is the point? To this point in the life of Jesus, beginning his ministry, to this point in his life, the primary testimony of God's faithfulness had been what? The Bible. The primary testimony to him of the promises of God was the Bible. The primary testimony that he had developed a wealth of knowledge of over time of the character of God, the instruction of God, the tenderness of the Father to always meet his people in the moments of trial had been the Bible. So that now in a moment of testing, the word of God would lead him to a moment of decision. I would rather be fathered and still hungry than feed my own appetites, impulses, and desires on my own. I would rather be fathered than feed myself. I would rather be fed than just chase my own appetites and impulses and desires. So for Jesus, the word of God was this compass toward communion. In a moment where it felt like temptations were firing off in him like fireworks, it was this compass toward communion with God I don't know what's happening. I'm weak. I'm vulnerable. I'm alone. I'm hungry. God hears my fears. God hears my confusion. God hears my weakness. It was a compass toward communion with God. And so here's the point of Scripture for you and me. The point of Scripture is that it's God's authoritative word to anchor you invites you into a communion with God so that you can be fathered rather than just led along by your impulses, desires, and appetites. The scriptures are an anchor of God's authoritative word for you to be fathered rather than led along to feed yourself. As a young Christian, I remember <laughs> 18 years old, brand new follower of Jesus, I remember hearing that the way to battle lust or pride or anger or jealousy or any other kind of sin was just to have some, some scripture memorized so that when those temptations, when those thoughts come along, you have a little dagger in your back pocket to sort of tranquilize the moment. 
So those, those moments would come along. Lust fires up in my mind and my heart. It's like, oh, I've prepared for this moment. I've got Psalm 119, verses 9, verses 9 and 10. How should a young man keep his way pure? Well, by hiding the word of God into his heart. Quote the verse, lust is still there. <laughs> the desires are still there. A friend does something against me. Anger rises up in my heart. Oh, I'm prepared for this moment. I've got the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, do not murder. But I say to you, anyone who has anger in his heart toward his brother has committed the sin all the same. Verse quoted, anger's still there. And so I started to go, like, what am I doing wrong? I was told that when temptation comes along, have a verse to go with it and sort of just cuts through the noise. So I started to go, like, is something wrong with me? Like I went down a long road of just going, maybe, maybe I'm too busted and God doesn't work for somebody like me because I feel like I'm trying to do what I've been told to do, yet I still am the way that I am, and I still have all kinds of these crazy desires and thoughts and impulses going on in, inside of me. What's wrong with me? I went down that road for a long while, and then I thought, well, maybe nothing's wrong with me. Maybe the problem is with God's word. Maybe he's not keeping up his end of the deal. I've quoted it like I was told to quote it. I've had it ready like I was told to have it ready, and I don't feel like I'm being helped. Maybe it's because it's no help at all. Maybe the problem isn't with me. Nonetheless, I'm asking the question, why am I? Why are we still the way that we are? <laughs> I'll never forget an older Christian coming along to me in the midst of that struggle and helping me see that the point of God's word is less like a wand that you wave over the stuff that you want to go away. The point of scripture is not a wand. Instead, it's a window into the heart of the Father. That changed things for me. Let me say that again. The Bible is not a wand that you wave over the stuff in your life that you want to go away. Instead, it's a window into the heart of the Father who's with you no matter what happens. No matter what happens. So, so let me sort of tease this out for you. Where else are you going to learn about God's holiness and instruction? Where else do you learn about that? Where else do you learn about God's kindness and his patience with people who are the way that they are, right? Like a sinner. Where else do you learn of God's patience and kindness towards sinners? Not self-help books, not even the best Christian books because they're quoting from another primary source. What tells you of God's patience with sinners? Where else do you learn that God has been faithful to every single one of his promises through real-time stories of sinners just like you and me who are busted and fail all the time, yet he's still faithful? Where else do you learn of that? Where else can you see for yourself God's great love for you that while you were a still sinner, he sent his son to take judgment that was rightly yours in your place, that instead of judgment, you received blessing. Where else can you see that firsthand? You see, you and I don't drift toward God. We don't do it. Our life, our life circumstances take us on a different drift. We don't drift toward God. We don't just sort of by osmosis be formed into lovers of the Most High. You see, without the Bible, you won't see yourself the right way. 
the great existential question, who am I? Where did I come from? And what am I for? You will not see yourself the right way without the Bible. You won't even see God the right way without the Bible. At best, without Scripture, it's a wish dream. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. And then the God I worship, he would be like, it's a wish dream. We're just Without the Bible, it's either a wish dream or at worst, it's just guessing. Well, I guess I'm like this, and I guess God is like this. This is the place of the word to form us, to give a view of self and a view of God. And so the idea is not, if I just had more Bible, then there would be a great disappearing act of all the ill that I want to leave in my life. And I'm saying this, and I know that some of you are like, yeah, I know the Bible's not like that, but isn't that what we struggle with? I've, I've done Bible studies, I've done all the stuff, and my life is still the way that it is. What's happening here? It's not a wand, it's a window. It's not a wand, it's a window. So instead, here's the idea, that in the scriptures, God is speaking. Not you. And he speaks first, he initiates. He's not waiting for you to sort of find him. He's going to open his mouth and tell you who he is and what he's done to reach you. So our place with scripture is to simply give ourselves to his voice. You realize, and I have to say this in Bible Belt, Oklahoma religion weirdness that we sometimes grow up in. Nowhere else in the Bible will you see it so plainly stated that the Christian life is not trying harder and doing better next time. The Christian life is not morality 101. Instead, the Christian life is submitting yourself to be fathered by the living God. That's what the Christian life is. I want to be fathered by the living God, not paint between the lines and hold it all together and walk the straight and narrow. I want to be fathered by the living God. So I'm not stuffing down the wild in my life. I'm not pretending the chaos isn't there. I'm not trying to silence things, paint on a face, and put on my pastels and go to church. That's not Christianity, regardless of what Bible Belt America tells you. Christianity is instead offering God the wild, offering him the chaos, Offering him your whole life and saying, I trust that the finished work of Jesus counts for me. And the same God that sustained Jesus amidst his hunger pains in the wilderness by his word will sustain me in my hunger pains in this wilderness by his word. What God did for his son, he will do for me because his finished work counts for me. That's the scriptures. And so just like the word formed Jesus, in the face of the wild. It wasn't like Jesus goes, you know what, I'm gonna be formed by God in a tranquil place. He goes out to the wilderness to be formed by God. It's not like you get peace and then formation. You get crazy in formation in the midst of it. And the word of God meets you there. So maybe just say it plain as we wrap up today. The regular habit of opening your Bible and giving yourself to the voice of God is absolutely crucial for ongoing health and formation as a Christian. Absolutely crucial. Maybe to say the same thing in the negative. You will absolutely not grow as a Christian 
apart from God's word. You will absolutely not grow. At best, you'll stagnate. And stagnation, left to itself, leads to deconstruction, which is really popular right now. If you want to deconstruct, just avoid God's word. That doesn't lead to a healthier place. Let's, let's be honest. That doesn't lead to a healthier place. We need to be tuned to our Father's voice. And I know some of you are saying, yeah, but like I'm, I'm not so much a Bible person. I'm more of a prayer person. I'm more of like a music person. I connect with God through singing and music and melody. Here's what I would just say back to that. Do you realize we don't even have prayer without the Bible? We don't even know what prayer is. There's not a whole book of the Bible that's just a prayer book, the Psalms. You realize we don't even know what worship is? We don't know what singing and making melody to God is if his word doesn't tell us that worship is something he's put inside of the hearts of humanity? All the other practices of the Christian life are formed by this practice. We don't have the other practices without God's word. This is revelation to us. And so as I close today, I want to get really practical. Where do you go from here? How do you practice scripture? How do you make the habit of going to God's word? Here's number one. We'll go really quickly here. Number one, read for presence. Read for presence. One of the things I hear often in my own life too, I'm not going to read the Bible because I don't, I don't understand it. I'm not going to read the Bible because I rarely remember the things that I read. It doesn't feel like it has a point. Let me let you off the hook for a second. Who cares? Who cares? Right now in my Bible reading plan, I'm in the book of Ezekiel. I understand about 2% of what I'm reading. The point isn't that you understand it. Let me just let you off the hook. Don't, Don't read with this pressure. I've got to understand everything. You won't. Also, let me let you off the hook. You won't remember everything. That's not the point. That's not the point. Read simply to be there. Just read to be there. That's what's going on. The point isn't whether or not you get divine revelation and Jesus shows up in your living room and serving you a cup of coffee and doing, it's not about leveling up every time. It's just about being there. The point of presence is you're tuning yourself. You're tuning yourself slowly over time to hear the Father's voice. It's about being fathered. So my kids, we have four little ones at home, and uh, my wife and I have conversations all the time. They don't understand them. They don't understand when we talk about bills or daily schedules or nights out or insurance claims. They don't understand any of that. They also don't remember most of what I tell them because I'm still having to tell them, right? They don't understand and they don't remember, but here's what is happening. They're always hearing my voice and they're always hearing mom's voice so that in a moment of chaos, they know how to pick it out of a crowd. In a moment of picking them up from childcare, when there's 30 toddlers in a room and they're the one in the back corner and they can't hear anything over anything else, but I show up and I say, hey, Scarlett, my daughter's name. She turns and she looks at me. She's tuned to her father's voice. That's what's happening in the wilderness with Jesus. Tempted, 
hungry, alone, tired, weak, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones to bread. That's not my Father's voice. That's not my Father's voice. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. My Father won't leave me hungry. Leave me hungry. He will feed me, and I would rather be fathered by him than prove something to you. That's what's happening. Opening the Bible. I don't understand it. Okay. I don't remember. Okay. You also don't remember what you had last Tuesday for lunch, but it was enough to nourish you to today. Read for presence. The second thing, read on purpose. Read on purpose. Have a plan. Like, I know we've all had these moments, we've heard stories like, I don't know, I was just opening my Bible, and I landed on 2 Kings chapter 4, and Revelation opened to me. Maybe. That's a bad plan, though. Like, don't do that. Uh, that is, like, don't try that at home. There's a lot of good Bible reading plans out there. I'm not going to spend a lot of time going into those. Take that up with your community groups. Like, just talk, hey, what is your approach? Do you have any plan you're reading? Your pastors and your deacons would love to sort of resource you with plans. But I will give you a bottom line today. It's like, what do, how do I start? Here's a great way to do it. Read a psalm. So just maybe tomorrow, Psalm 1. It's like nine verses long. It won't take you long. Read it. It's a prayer. Maybe it makes you want to pray. Pray. So read a psalm and then read a New Testament book. Just pick one. You don't have to get crazy with it. You'll never go wrong with the Bible. So let's just say it's Philippians. Psalm 1, Philippians 1, and call it a day. Maybe nothing happens. Maybe something happens. Who cares? You're there for presence. 15 minutes. I think over time you'll go, I actually want 30. I actually maybe want a little bit longer. Okay, fine. Don't go zero to 60. You're like, okay, seven days a week, starting tomorrow, doing it. No, it would be prophetic. It would be amazing for your life and your community if you just go, I'm going to go three days this week. Just three days of intake of God's word, three days giving myself to his voice, one psalm, one chapter, three times a week, God move. Tune me to your voice. Read it in community. It's another way to read on purpose. Other people are reading it with you, maybe out loud, or maybe you're showing up to talk about what you've read. It's really helpful. I know some of you are saying, yeah, but you don't understand. I don't read. <laughs> I don't like to read. I hate reading. You know what? There are these really amazing things called apps, and you can actually have the Bible read to you. You don't have to read. It's like you just turn it on, Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created. It's amazing. On a commute, on a walk, on a bike ride while you're gardening, you can do it anytime you want. You, Use your apps at your own pleasure, right? Don't read the Bible to you. It counts. Giving yourself to God's voice. I want to point two resources that have been helpful to me, and then we'll close today. If you want to read on like, I don't understand what's going on in Leviticus. I would say who does, right? But it's important for us. tunes us to God's voice. This book called According to Plan by Graham Goldsworthy has been super helpful. It's super accessible. Uh, it can be read regardless of your familiarity with Scripture. And it kind of explains how the Bible's put together in its different books. And this other one, uh, God's Big Picture by Vaughn Roberts, 
sort of takes the same approach, but it shows the one storyline, the one storyline from Genesis to Revelation. I would commend those books to you if you want some help. I want to end today by reading this prayer. It's going to be our prayer to close. You'll see it on the screen. I'll read it, but it'll be our prayer. A prayer that Christians have prayed for hundreds of years, written in the 1500s, comes from the Book of Common Prayer about Scripture. It says this, Blessed Lord, you have caused all Scriptures, all Holy Scriptures, to be written for our learning. So grant us that we may in such a way hear them, read them, mark them, learn them, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we said, amen.